friends, now I got enemies. Used to keep them close, now they dead on me. Used to have friends, now I got enemies. Enemies, yes, so sad. Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Man, I am hyped about this week. Rob, before I introduce you, for, for any of our religious listeners out there, all three of you, um, you know, they say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And uh, this past weekend, he gave us a new legend and he took one away. Rob, what it do? Listen, I, I, I'm not even touching what you just started with. <laughs> I, I started with enemies. Uh, because my boy Brian Flores, who was down here in Miami, probably used to have a lot of friends in this league, but I'm sure right now he's got a lot of enemies uh, because of that lawsuit he filed today. A lot, lot, lot to talk about this week, um, but let's not prematurely cl- uh, crown Joe Burrow, please. Give give the man the opportunity to I, I mean, I didn't even say who the new legend was. I know was. who you're you know talking saying? about. Your LSU fandom is, you know, like none you know. other. Listen. Joe Cool, Hollywood Joe, whatever you want to call him, led his team to another big win. Super Bowl bound in year two, the first number one overall drafted quarterback to make it to the Super Bowl in his first two years. So, I mean, this man setting records with his boy Chase. The LSU connection is strong, NFLSU. We got Odell Beckham on the other side, but uh, but let's dive into this first game. Uh, Kansas City versus Cincinnati Bengals. Everybody expected Cincinnati to, to get blown out essentially. Uh the line was seven. Uh we we both called it though. I think we both yeah, said we, we were going with Cincinnati. It was gonna be close, so yeah. We knew it was gonna be close, but uh well I said I said I was going with Kansas City in a close game, and I said that 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 uh they wouldn't cover that seven point spread. Yeah. Um and I was almost right, but the implosion <laughs> of 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 that offense, I just think that. You know, sometimes when you make a decision like they made at the end of the first half mm-hmm. to go for um, for a touchdown when the field goal is available, mentally, when you come out in that second half, you start chasing points. Mm-hmm. Because you were oh. so close to the seven, and you definitely could have had the three, which would have given you the 24-10 lead, a two-touchdown lead. And I think when you come out in the second half in those scenarios – it's in your mind. And I don't totally blame the play call in that situation. I think that Patrick Mahomes has to know either I throw the ball into the end zone with five seconds left or I just throw it away and take the field goal. He chose to throw it to Tyreek Hill, who was four yards outside of the end zone, a yard or two behind a line of scrimmage. You could try to blame play callers all you want, but it was his decision to throw that pass. I think that mentally they never got back right after that. Um, they abandoned the running game, in my opinion, after that. Um and so as much as I give credit to the Bengals for winning that game, and I got to give credit to the Bengals defensive coordinator, the defense as a whole, you know, Von Bell, uh, Tyler Hendrickson, got to give them credit. But I also have to say that Mahomes looked mentally rattled. And I think that um, we saw something from Andy Reid that, you know, we kind of always knew of him from his days in Philly, which is that sometimes he just kind of abandons the run and gets too cute in the passing game. And I think that's kind of what came back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, right, giving up the three points before half, that will put you up 14, and and more importantly, you get the ball coming out of halftime. So you're Mm -hmm. up 14, you've scored on every possession on offense in the first half, and you get the ball back. Any points, whether it be a field goal or a touchdown on that first drive in in the third quarter, 
put you up by three scores and the game is essentially over at that point. So and the field goal, as we saw at the end, that field goal that took them to overtime would have been the game winning field goal exactly. had they taken at the end of regulation. And might I point out, they were averaging six yards per carry at halftime and continued to average that kind of yards per rush throughout the entirety of the game, but refused to run the football. It just was mind-boggling. Clyde Edwards, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, um Jarek McKinnon. Uh, Jarek McKinnon. And even when they hand off to Hardiman, and we've seen them run the ball with Kelsey before in like mm -hmm. certain type situations. Just be creative with the run game. The Bengals didn't show the ability to stop it. And look, we know Tyler Hendrickson from his time in New Orleans. The knock on him is that he's an undersized offensive end. That's why we didn't pay him big money. And what do you do to undersized offensive end? You put him on skates and you run at him. Like that's what you're supposed to do. You don't keep falling passes. You up two touchdowns. I mean, just the 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 thought process. I just think it becomes one of those things where you're successful in the first half and you just come out assuming that you're going to be able to do it in the second half. But there's only so many pass plays and so many different ways you can scheme up uh, getting the ball, you know, to your, your your number one targets before defense kind of starts to figure that out. That's why you're supposed to remain balanced and keep the threat of the run involved. And I will also say this. I, The person I was watching the game with, I pointed out to them. I told my boy, I said, Tyreek Hill is, is not – a true number one, right? Like he's dangerous in space, but you have to scheme him open. Right. He's not a large enough receiver to necessarily go up and make contested catches. And what do we see on that overtime play? That's a ball that another receiver with some more size and a larger catch radius might have caught. Instead, it turned into an interception. And of note, you know, they had Josh Gordon on the roster and they'd like demoted him to the practice squad this week because he's never actually made the field for them. But, like, that's the type of big body that they probably could have used at wide receiver because for a lot of times when you're looking at the game, they find cute ways to get Pringle and Hardeman the ball, but they become real two-dimensional. Kelsey and Tyreek Hill when the chips are down, and you can guarantee that the play is going to go to either one of those guys. And I, I stopped listening to you because you mispronounced our man, Trey, Trey Hendrickson. What did I call him? Tyler. You added an Esther Burrow name you know, <laughs> two years ago. I don't know why I call it Tyler. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I just was, I got into it, bro. <laughs> but uh, I got a couple questions I want to ask you, right? Um, when you look at Kansas City, four years, Andy Reid, um, Patrick Mahomes are together. They make it to... Four EFC championship games, four consecutive EFC championship games, two Super Bowl appearances in only one Super Bowl. Do you consider that um, for their standards underachieving? I mean, so here's what I'll say. Um, it's, they're not done, right? And what this is uh, year four of Mahomes starting, right? Right, right. And so – I can't blame him for the AFC Championship loss to the Patriots. Um, to the Patriots, right? Because even they were all though, sides. yeah, even though he they turned in a goose egg in the first half, I'm gonna give him a break because they came back in the second half and, like you said, um, was that uh, D Ford lines up mm -hmm. all sides. So I'm gonna give him the break, even though they had no excuse not putting up any points. I blame Andy Reid for that, but Mahomes was young, so we'll give him that. Next year, you win the Super Bowl. Okay, fine. Following year, you lose like both of your tackles going into the Super Bowl, and they got hit. I also thought that was a horribly rough game, um, but I also don't think they had any business getting their ass with the way that they got their ass with. And I think again, as we pointed out, it, it was 
tactically, like the scheming, the planning going into the game was too pass heavy and you're missing your tackles, why are you going to drop back 45 times? But still, I'm going to give him breaks in year one and three, that being Mahomes and Reed, right? But there's no excuse this year. You're a seven-point favorite. You're playing a wild-card team. You At home, at AFC home, Championship. Had a 21-point lead, and you blew it. You stopped running the ball and the pass plays. You know, Mahomes threw two interceptions in critical scenarios. He was running backwards. I think he was running backwards to run the clock out. I think that was a game plan. But just when you look at some of the plays they schemed up, like first down, I think they run the ball down there on the goal line. Second down, they scheme up a pass that's like essentially a one-receiver route to Hardiman. And then when Hardiman doesn't come off that like slip screen type situation clean, you had no other people to, to, to get the ball to. There were just too many situations where, you know, this thing we accuse Sean Payton of doing often, which is being too cute. You scheming up plays where I'm trying to get this guy open for this instead of scheming up a play where you can actually go through your progression and – Right. There's multiple options. A lot of the plays appeared to be schemed up for one receiver. And if you read it prior to the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage, he was going to have to take a sack or throw the ball away. I thought that last drive, they they played it like they knew they were going to score a touchdown. And he just wanted to give Burrow and the Bengals the least amount of time. Right. But they hadn't scored the entire second. Agree. Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) I I don't understand it, but that's how they kind of played it, even to the point where Romo – and and other uh, play by play guy was saying like, you know, the Bengals maybe should should they let Kansas City score? Like everybody was just giving the Chiefs <laughs> right. a touchdown. Like they had been in that same scenario at the end of the first half and couldn't right. score. Like what right. are we talking about? So I I thought that was kind of I wasn't wild. confident at all watching them move down the field because I recognize the like Patrick Mahomes has no real faith in the other receivers on his roster. Right. If right. you take Kelsey and Hill away, he's not trying to throw to Hardeman and Pringle in tight spaces in the red zone. He's just yeah. not. You know what I mean? And so they need a legitimate second receiver. Hardeman's an athlete. He's good in the slot. But Pringle is not somebody he feels comfortable going to. And if you think about it, you know, they've had other guys, right? They've had a, a Sammy Watkins. or You know, they pick people up for playoff runs and whatnot. But right now – you know, it was clear and obvious that he didn't feel confident with his other targets. And um, I love Mahomes, but even the Super Bowl win, that wasn't his best game. And a lot right. of people, including myself, thought that Williams should have uh, got, got the MVP at running back. Yeah. So, you know, I love Mahomes, but when you look at it, he hadn't had his best games in the, in the conference championships in the Super Bowl to date. Um and if, we'll get to a guy named Tom Brady in a moment, but that's where he tends to separate himself. So two quick questions for you on this game before we move on to the Rams and the, the 49ers. If you had to pick right now Mahomes, Burrow, who are you going with? Oh, I'm picking Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, I, I pick Mahomes. He's probably slightly more athletic, and he's got way more arm talent. And, and he's got a, a larger, better resume. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. and we just have a larger sample size. Um, but – when I threw that name Brady out there, that's why Burrow is getting called the name Joe Cool because you see that what you see with Mahomes is like, I'm just better than everybody. Right. But you've yet to see him in the pressing moment use that that skill set 
to make the play that's transcending. Yeah. To will his team. Transcending plays in moments that aren't the largest moments. Right. So you can go back to week four and be like, oh, he made this amazing play. But when the game has been on the line in the biggest moments over the last four years, there's not a lot of Mahomes plays where you can be like, he used that arm talent to make this special throw to win this special game. That's what Brady has on his resume. When you look at the plays that Joe Burrow made down the stretch, he only had 250 yards, but he had two third down plays that I would say changed the entire outcome of the game where he breaks away from their Pro Bowl defensive tackle on third down twice from the man's grasp and get first down both times and both of those drives resulted in points. And as we know, every score mattered in that game. Totally agree. Um, over under Joe Burrow, one and a half Super Bowls. In his career? Yeah. Oh, I think you got to go. Listen, it's I'm about to say you got to go over. <laughs> I was about to say you got to go to over. And then I just thought about our Saints, right? And I'm thinking about Patrick Mahomes. You're saying winning or going to? Winning, winning, winning. Yeah, see, now I got to relax because just it's so easy to get excited when somebody goes young. But as you know, you can go young and then just never go again. Right. I was going to say, and, and there's no guarantee he's going to win this one. So, yeah. you know, that. Right. Right now, I would say under. But yeah, I was gonna say I'll give him one in the career, but I can't give him two. There's yeah, just too many. And the NFL is just too unpredictable. And what happens is he's on his rookie deal now. Yep. Once he gets through, so he's got three more years on his deal. And but you know, basically, once T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and and Joe, Joe Burrow Mixon. come off of yep. rookie deals, and Joe Mixon, you can't pay all of them. Yeah, and, and exactly. you haven't got you haven't acquired an offensive line yet. Right, they got kind of lucky. Um, just that Tannehill threw that pick. Mahomes doesn't get the touchdown late. Otherwise, and the, the Raiders game went down the stretch. Otherwise, they're not even here. So, and you're also talking about a team that you don't have a ton of film on because this is Jamar Chase's rookie year, and he kind of turns into a breakout receiver. You know, um, so next year you're going to have a lot more film, and how to attack them is going to be you know something that a lot of teams are focused on, and so that those windows become real tight as we see with the Mahomes and with the true breezes and all of these people. They still won't be able to stop Jamar Chase. Just saying, but uh, next game, next game, relax. the Rams, uh, 49ers. Now the Rams were disgusted. The, Rams were the favorite, but a lot of people I felt like including myself thought 49ers. I, I, I was, if I, I think had, they said Kyle Shanahan had beat McVay like the last six, six in a straight row. times they played yes, each other. Yes. And I'll give it to Shanahan. Like, the man just ain't never had the quarterback to take him over the top. Like, he should have had a Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator for the Falcons. Yeah. But they blew a 28-3 lead. You can't put all that on the OC. Obviously, the defense had to give up the points to let him come back. And then he, theoretically, if Garoppolo hits Emmanuel Sanders in the end zone, has a Super Bowl with the 49ers. And then McVay is looking like the class of the NFC West, but who can he beat? Shanahan. Shanahan's a good coach. Yeah. Just got to give him his credit. He comes from a coaching tree. His father was a good coach. So I give him his credit, but uh, that was an ugly game to watch. I don't know how you feel. It wasn't fun to watch for me. I mean, I just feel like, for one, I feel like Stafford is overrated. I feel like they got a lot of people who are on this. Look what McVay could do, McVay could do with um, a real quarterback, and, and Stafford had – never reached his potential because of the talent around him in Detroit. But I'm still underwhelmed by Stafford in big moments. Like mm -hmm. they stepped up. Um, OBJ had a big game. Cooper cup, you know, gets mm -hmm. open. That's what he does. But when you look at it, they're supposed to beat the 49ers. They're better. They're, overall, they have more talent. They got the best corner in Jalen Ramsey. 
You got the best wide receiver in Cooper Cup. Um, you got two of the best pass rushers in the league in Aaron Donald, Von OBJ Miller. OBJ is top five OBJ. over the last five years. Yeah, I mean, so, like, the the talent, given the talent, I ended up being a home game for the Rams. I thought the game should have been shouldn't have been as close as it was. Right. So I'll make two points, right? One point is this. This is, you know, we we have a friend, Jason, who's a big Tom Brady fan. And this is an argument we tend to have about Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, Patrick Mahomes versus a Tom Brady. Arm talent does not mean you make the best decisions in the biggest situations. Maybe it's film study. Maybe it's just a pressure bus pipes and you can't exist well under the pressure. But I think we saw from all three of those guys this year why they are not Tom Brady. They have all the talent in the world and they arguably had better receivers than some Tom Brady has had in some of his Super Bowl years and still couldn't come through with the victory. So that's my first thing that I'll say about Matt Stafford. What I'll say about the Chiefs and the Rams is I think they're kind of poorly constructed. They're kind of top-heavy. We talked about the Saints last week. We talked about the 06 roster and the 2018 roster. We could talk about how they built through the draft, and, and we could talk about how we were pretty solid at every position. In order to do that, you can have a few free agency signings, but you need to draft well almost at every position and draft well a couple of times for injury purposes. When you look at the rosters like the Chiefs and the Rams, I'd say that they're top heavy. You got Mahomes and I'm sorry, you got Mahomes Hill and Kelsey. And then you look at the rest of the offense and arguably Clyde was elair but they're not using him properly. Right. But then you look at the second and third receiver and you like, who is he supposed to go to? You look at the offensive line, turmoil there, turnover there, right? Uh, you flip over to the defense and it's like, okay, well, they went and acquired Melvin Ingram, who I think, uh, you know, left from Chargers. You have Chris Jones and they went and got, um, was it Frank Clark from the Seahawks? That yep. was a big free agency signing. Derek Nandi, they drafted from Florida State. He's a decent run stuffer. He was, you know, decent at Florida State. But essentially, you have three stars in the D-line. Couldn't really talk to you about their linebackers. Can't really talk to you about their cornerbacks and Tyron Matthew, right? Yeah. Sorensen is always getting smoked back there. At the other and, and Matthew is getting older. You know? And Matthew's getting older. So then you're like, okay, so you have like four stars on offense and four stars on defense and pedestrians playing a lot of the other positions. I mean, when it came down to it, those cornerbacks couldn't really cover the Bengals receivers, right? right. Um, so you got to get your, your – those three guys up front who are notable pass rushers had to get to the quarterback. And so – to that end, you're watching these games. The 49ers are well-constructed. John Lynch and Shanahan have put together a roster that's kind of standing the test of time. Regardless of injury, they're always in the playoff hunt. The Bengals are building something through the draft and free agencies combined. And so you look at these other two teams, the Rams and the Chiefs, they're star-studded, but they're top-heavy. Right. This top heavy salary wise, you look at Jalen Ramsey and then everybody's like, well, the other corner is trash. Just keep throwing the ball to him into the slot because those dudes can't cover anybody. They brought Eric Weddle out of retirement to play safety right? in the playoffs, in the playoffs. Now, that tells you what they thought about their roster. Right. right. And they went and signed OBJ out of free agency. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, that the other wide receiver, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, was. Robert Woods. Yeah, Robert, Robert Woods uh, got hurt. So that was, you know, a replacement there. But I don't think the, I think their rosters lack depth. And so when you look at on his face, you like both of these teams should just be blowing people out and meeting the Super Bowl. But it's why we always say you can't just go all free agency and football and get the continuity necessary and go to the Super Bowl. And I think that's why that game was a lot closer because I think Kyle Shanahan is the better coach. And I think the roster, 
top to bottom may actually be better. The Rams roster is just top heavy. Yeah, yeah. I thought the 49ers gave him a, a good run for the money and had Garoppolo made a few throws. This dude, Debo Stan- Samuel, like this was his, his breakout year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first team all pro, like looked like he could be a 1,400-yard Russian running back. You know what I mean? Like just returning kicks. Just whatever the team needs in key situations, he was coming through. Elijah Mitchell was underrated. You remember him for your days in Lafayette. Went to ULL, played high school ball out there. Um, defensively, strong defensive line. I mean, they held up. If, if uh, I believe it was Tart number four, three number three, number tart. three, who had, tart. who had the punt interception that right. he dropped. I mean, what was Matt Stafford doing there? Like, <laughs> right. He literally almost threw the game away on that. Yeah, game. yeah. And, and how did the guy not intercept the ball? And then uh, what that was Fox. So Aikman was talking about how he didn't have an interception in a regular season or in the playoffs. Like, no shit. If he can't catch that, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not catching anything back there. Right. And uh, I think that was the game. I think if they make that play, the 49ers probably yeah, win the I game. Used, I used the Twitter page to say that Jaquaski Tart, just uh, our Twitter page, I tweeted he just dropped the game. I was yeah. like, that was it. Um, yeah. You can't you can't miss that in that in, in that you know during that no. point in the game you can't drop that. But. And as I also pointed out, you can't be running around with a single digit number on dropping interceptions like that. <laughs> right, right. Single digits are saved for for stars. Right. Um. But uh. But we're gonna talk more next week about the Bengals and the Rams. So I don't I don't want to go there yet. Uh. We're gonna talk. We're gonna have some prop bets, some Super Bowl picks, and all that kind of stuff next week. But uh. So we're gonna leave it there for the for the conference championships. But let let's talk about terrific time hanging it up after 22 seasons at the age of 45 years old. Um, What do you think? I I don't even think it's a question now, you know, whether you rank him in football. Um, He's got seven rings. He's got all the stats. You know what I mean? I I, I used to argue it, you know, oh, if if Russell Wilson didn't throw the interception, if Devontae Freeman didn't whiff on the block for the Falcons, that's two less Super Bowls. Right. At that point, he would only had the four. Tuck, and the tuck rule. The tuck rule he should have never got. Funny yeah. enough, Josh McDaniels gets the job in for the Raiders, and the first right. thing he, he told him was uh, it was a fumble. But, yeah, so that was like, oh, well, we could cancel out three of the Super Bowls. Oh, and then the flake gate. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but right. at a certain point, you can't question uh, yeah. what this man did. And I, I saw a graphic today on Twitter where it was like 12 games, and it was like Tom Brady won all these games. And when you looked at the the still image of each of the 12 games, the leads, it was like 23 to nine in the fourth quarter with four minutes left, 31, 14 in the fourth quarter with eight minutes left. And when you looked at all the games and, and the fact that he won, and it makes me think of that Rams Buccaneers game, he made you nervous because you knew he wasn't going to blank first. Look right. at us as Saints fans in the Buccaneers game, right? We were up driving, cook catches the ball, fumble and you could feel the tension instead of feeling like oh we're about to win this game when you're playing against tom brady there's tension because you know if you blink he's not gonna blink back he's gonna put you away and so with the exception really of like thinking about it the fumble against the eagles which really wasn't his fault there's not a lot of big moments where you can be like oh it was down to the wire and instead of throwing a touchdown pass, Tom Brady through the interception or had some turn. Right, right. I think that game against the Eagles, the, the Patriots defense gave up like over 500 yards. Over 500 yards, right. Yeah. And so, and that was that was the Malcolm Brown game, wasn't it? Didn't they bench him before the, that Super Bowl, unexplicably? Yes, yes, right. sure was. Yeah. 
was crazy. Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler. Malcolm yeah. Butler. And so that's really, you know, that along with obvious, just the obvious stuff, the statistics and numbers you put up. But like, I'm not as impressed with that or as moved by that because everybody in today's football, you can't hit the quarterback. All the quarterbacks for the right. most part are putting up crazy numbers. Like nobody's numbers from old years compare. But no. I was looking at a list like he's going to retire first all time in passing yards, passing touchdowns, wins, winning percentage, um, Super Bowl, Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl. Uh, sorry, I already said Super Bowl wins, Pro Bowls, uh, Super Bowl MVPs, conference championships, playoff yards, playoff touchdowns, playoff wins. Like, I mean, there's really no passing, no no statistical category for a quarterback that he's not going to own, as well as just some categories for football players, period. Right. Um, so and I hate saying, like, the greatest football player of all time because then you get into all of these, like, well, there's so many positions and it's a team sport. But he's got the greatest resume of any football player to ever lace up a pair of cleats. I think yeah. that's unquestionable. So I think when you talk about his career, 22 seasons, um, his first – you know, Super Bowl win, his first major come, his first major game winning drive happened in the Superdome against the greatest show on turf, the Rams. I was a uh, freshman in college watching that. <laughs> there you go, right? So you got and all Marshall these... Falk was the hometown hero, so you exactly. know I was pulling for the Rams. Exactly. Um, and so when you think about his career over twenty two seasons, what is your um, most memorable Tom Brady moment? It might be the Falcons game because honestly, that was the one time that I was cheering for a Saints fan. And it was so enjoyable because I knew so many people from Atlanta having gone to college there and they really thought they were about to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so the enjoyment, and I remember I was actually coming back from Atlanta because it was a friend of mine's birthday. So we went to Atlanta for his birthday. I needed to get back to work for Monday morning. And we were on the road. And so we started out listening to the radio and for the second half, we stopped at one of our friend's houses who lived in Slidell, and we watched the entire second half collapse just in awe of the fact that like all these people from Atlanta had really been texting us the entire first half because we had just left like Super Bowl champions. We did this and we stopped Tom Brady and to watch that collapse. It was a thing of beauty. I'm not going to lie. And I, I mean, <laughs> that that uh, Julian Edelman catch was just like that's when you just knew. It was like yeah. these dudes are really about to win, and and just to watch the momentum because by overtime you didn't question it anymore. Right, like they were having their way with the Falcons, and the Falcons literally could do nothing to stop them. Um, almost felt a little bit bad just for the coaches at that point. And I'm um, Defonte Freeman, and some other guys on the Falcons who I kind of liked. I was like, damn, this is like you going down in the history books as blowing the greatest football yeah, that was... of all time, but. That was a, but that's when you could just see him as a in his element as a leader of men. Basically, like there's no, there's no, you know, obstacle that's insurmountable to us. And to yeah. see him lead them back like that, I think that's the epitome of what Tom Brady was. Definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. I um, I would probably go with the first one just because that's the one drive I really like. He went to ten. He won seven. When I start to think through, like as I'm thinking through all the Super Bowls. I don't really remember a lot of his drives. Like I remember more some of the drives that that lost him Super Bowl, like the Eli, uh, mm -hmm. the helmet catch, uh, Eli to the end zone. I think the like Plaxico, but right. um, the one that I really remember was that first one, mm -hmm. um, that drive to to get Adam Vinatieri in in field goal range to a beat whole the bunch Rams. Of check downs to Jr. Redmond. Yeah, and that was a huge upset at the time. I don't remember what the line was, but 
everybody the greatest show on turf but you yeah. know that's that's where we kind of get into the controversy right because the right the thought is that it was it was spy gate yeah, yeah. That, that led to to that yeah know? yeah exactly <laughs> so um I mean, it's the it's the end of an era. Like somebody sent us a a, a you know like a, a meme on Instagram or whatever. That was you. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, like we get so many texts from the group. Eli Manning, Peyton, Peyton Manning, Drew, Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, and Tom Brady. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I'd argue Eli and, and Philip Rivers have no place. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, on that list. Well, but I but, think you uh, put Eli there with two Super Bowls. But Philip Rivers, I just don't know. This <laughs> this dude, other than being connected to Eli based on draft right. year and trade, I don't understand how he keeps getting tossed into this number. All these people have Super Bowls, and he does not. Like one of these things does not belong. He never went to one either. <clears throat> so, so I'm curious to see who who takes that next step in, into the you know great quarterbacks conversation because we always talk about Rodgers but when you look at it like we talk about Mahomes like who's had a more underwhelming playoff career than Aaron Rodgers only one Super Bowl only one Super Bowl appearance um so you talk about a guy who's arm talent who who a lot of people call him the most talented thrower of the ball but you know it's hard Smith put him at put Mahomes at four and him at five yeah and and Mahomes has already been to two Super Bowls right so, I mean, we'll we'll see, we'll see. But I'm curious to see who kind of takes the next step. I mean, we got a lot of good quarterbacks, but none with more than one Super Bowl at at this point in time. So it, we'll see who kind of becomes the guy um, in the next, you know, five to ten years. But listen, I think we kind of missing the lead on this whole Tom Brady thing. The lead is that he retired and released a statement where he said all this stuff about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> and never mentioned the... the, the That's because uh, the man going to sign a one-day contract. Listen, people keep saying that, but I haven't seen it happen yet. That's you know, that he's supposed to sign this one-day contract and do this big thing at Patriot One, Patriot Place. And so, you know, I pulled up Bill Belichick's statement that he released today, and it said, I am privileged to have drafted and coached Tom Brady, the ultimate competitor and winner. Now, maybe I'm petty, but... I read the first sentence, I am privileged to have drafted, as essentially pointing out, like, don't get it twisted. I'm responsible for you being here. Uh, <laughs> Tom's humble beginning in professional football ultimately ended with becoming the best player in NFL history. Again, maybe I'm petty, but I read that sentence to be, don't forget where you come from. Like, you started from humble beginnings. I drafted you in late rounds, and you you became good, but when I got you, like, you wasn't nothing. Tom consistently performed at the highest level against competition that always made him the number one player to stop. His pursuit of excellence was inspirational. Tom was professional on and off the field uh, and carried himself with class, integrity, and kindness. I thank Tom for his relentless pursuit of excellence and positive impact on me and the New England Pages for 20 years. It just seemed like so dry and unemotional like i mean he won six super bowls with this dude. that seems and very talking about him yeah it's very very yes exactly talking about him like he's just another cat who played on your squad like hey that's nah, how it's like supposed some to be. people say he he was the squad like that's how it's supposed to be just one one of one of 22 maybe why that one day contract hasn't been signed yet don't worry robert Kraft gonna give him that one day deal yeah, well, i don't know he might brady might be like I, i'll do it if belichick ain't there <laughs> <laughs> well uh that's enough of terrific time because I don't I don't really like him anyways. And uh <laughs> yeah, because we just we were really nice. We didn't talk about deflate gate 
Spygate, spy exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. The fact they got caught deflate. I mean, Spygate Part Two. Yeah, you know. a, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, you know, they, they the you tuck know, they, rule. Right. Let's let, let's you can start there. Um, but uh, but we're gonna Mar leave it go. Marred with contract. We're, we're gonna let the man retire in peace. <laughs> and uh, I won't get to this Brian Flores case that that's that's popping off. Uh, he made his rounds on. The you know the, the media rounds today. Good morning, America. ESPN get up with his attorneys. Um, so I'm gonna let you start it all. Kind of give us a, a, a you know overview of the case and, and just some highlight points before we, we delve into uh, the 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 good stuff. Yeah, I mean I'm not gonna profess to be like you know that this is my my specialty or my area of law, but basically he's filing uh, a discrimination claim, which is um, you know, a lawsuit under Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, right? And, and basically what it allows you to do is argue that, you know, you were terminated. I'm sorry, not that you were terminated, but that, like, the hiring practices involve uh, some form of discrimination. There's a couple of different ways you can prove it. And, you know, basically you can kind of argue um, that, like, there was some pretextual issues with regard to the way um the situation was handled pretextual i guess you know potentially being race or that it was mixed motive you know and then the defense potentially being um that there was some essentially some basis for merit basis for why the situation was handled the way it was by the employer that essentially doesn't involve race and so that's kind of what we'll ultimately be dealing with he filed it, I believe, as maybe like a class action, which allows for him to introduce evidence of other coaches who experienced potentially some form of racial discrimination, which is why you see in the lawsuit that he is mentioning, you know, some of these other coaches who were, you know, fired and then potentially replaced by people that you could argue weren't better than them or they interviewed for jobs and were hired by people or interview for jobs and then lost out to people who had like remarkably less experience than them. So where do we start? And, and uh, I said, when I was talking about like the racial discrimination, it could be failed to hire, failed to promote, demoted or discharged. Right. So that's like the first thing that you'd have to prove. And then the second thing would be that race was a motivating factor in the decision that was made. Yeah. And so, I think two big allegations that came out yesterday was that Brian Flores um, alleged that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, in his first year as head coach in 2019, offered him $100,000 uh, to lose per game. Every game he lost to tank the season, he was offering him $100,000, which uh, Flores said that you know he refused because he's an ultimate competitor. And then the second big allegation is that and he has actual text proof that on a monday he received a text from uh bill belichick stating congratulating him on getting the giants job the only issue was this was monday and he was set to interview on thursday and so after a couple of texts uh belichick trying to you know congratulate him brian flores asked belichick if he was aware that he was speaking with brian flores or Brian, uh, not Brian DeBall, who ultimately got the Giants job. Um, and Belichick said, you know, apologize for the for the error. Um, and 
Flores went on the interview for the job Thursday, and shortly after that, Brian Dayball was named the head coach of the Giants. Two so, other big things in the lawsuit. One that apparently Stephen Ross asked him to, like, I guess, tamper, try to reach out to Tom Brady, I guess, when they could tell things were going south there in New England. And mm-hmm. then the fourth thing being that um, the, the Broncos situation that reportedly yes. he showed up to an interview with the Broncos brass and the Broncos brass was late and appeared hungover. Which, I mean, you know, I don't want to prejudge anybody, but I, I could see that in my, my brain. I, <laughs> I, I could see a disheveled John L. walking into an interview. I mean, <laughs> he looks hungover as it is. <laughs> right. his, his general disposition looks <laughs> hungover. But, uh, and, and that was also at a time where they had just come off of firing a, a black coach in, in uh, Vance Joseph as so we know we know no team in history has ever hired back-to-back black coaches that me and you was talking about on the pod uh, off the pod earlier. But uh I man, I don't even know where to start, bro. I, I got so much, so many things I want to say. I'm sure you got a lot of stuff you want to say, but in a short, in a long story short, Cat got think, your tongue over there, bro. Yeah, bro. I, I'm just <laughs> I you know, I got so much. Long story short is you know, the Rooney, Rooney Rule has been implemented, I think, for over 20 years. A lot of coaches, are, you know, have insinuated that they felt like they were involved in what is called like a sham interview, basically an interview just to, um, you know, an obligated interview just to say that they hired, they interviewed a minority candidate. And so multiple coaches kind of insinuated that this has happened over the years. I know as a fan and, you know, as an NFL follower, I felt that way for years. There's still a lot of question marks behind guys like Eric Bieniemy not getting a head coaching job, although he's part of one of the greatest offenses, great you know, greatest offensive runs in the last four or five years. Um, but two things I want to point out, and then I'll give it to you, Rob. I was doing some research, some light research on just some previous black head coaches, um, and two things that stuck out to me. Jim Caldwell coached the Lions a couple years back. He was there for four years. He went 11 and five. Then he won like four or five games, maybe like five and 11 a second year. Then he went back to back nine and seven uh, and back to back nine and seven seasons. He went to the playoffs two out of those four years. So coming off of back to back winning seasons and two out of four years making the playoffs, he gets fired for Matt Patricia, defensive coordinator uh, out out of New England, a white coach who won 13 games in three years. So that stuck out to me is, you know, you find a, a coach that that was winning consistently on a, in an organization that's known for not winning. Detroit is where they said Matt Stafford had to get out of because he never had enough talent. So so that, that stood out to me. And then Brian Flores, who's filing the lawsuit, he gets fired coming off a of back-to-back winning seasons. 10-6 and six, uh, last year, 9-8 and eight this year. And, and this year, nine and eight was was really special because they lost seven in a row, and I think they were like one and seven at one point, and he finished nine and eight. So you could tell that like, the team never quit on him, and that was two instances what I found in the last five years where black head coaches were fired after back to back winning seasons. And like I said, I did some light research, but I couldn't find an instance in which a white coach in the history of the NFL was fired coming off of back to back winning seasons. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all compelling. Um, still haven't made it through the full 60 page um, filing, but you know, uh, my understanding is um, that's in there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I know Jim Caldwell um, is in there. Look, I got the document up. I just, you know, hit a, you know, I'm doing the lawyer thing, just hit a control F. Caldwell is all up into this lawsuit, right? It should be. And so that's the. That's the the beauty of filing the way he filed it. It's allowing him to essentially lay all this stuff out bare. I mean, there's so much to talk about. I think the first thing to start with is that, like, you know, some people are calling him the Rosa Parks of the NFL, and I I don't want to get carried away to Martin Luther King to this to that. And I mean, at the beginning of the filing, he does mention civil rights leaders. What I will say, this is a gentleman from Brownsville, Brooklyn, right? Toughest parts of Brooklyn is where Mike Tyson's from. Yeah, 1981. He's 40 years old. Um, managed to get himself into a prep school in New York called Poly Prep go on to Boston College. And it, as he talked about, he's the first generation uh, child of Honduran immigrants. And football, as he stated, has done a lot for his life, right? And so he feels like honesty and integrity is what he's going to bring to the game because the game changed his life. And I think that as he sees it, if football has given him all of this, he owes it to the game of football to make right or wrong he feels like is going on within the game. And, mm -hmm. and I respect that, right? Uh, he's willing to take the chance that essentially he's not going to get another head coaching job. But here's what I'll say about that. I mean, when we look at the Todd Bowles, the Hugh Jacksons, the Lovey Smiths, the Marvin Lewis's, the Jim Caldwell's, um, the Leslie Frazier's, the mm -hmm. Vance Joseph, the uh, who are we just talking about that? Uh, Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes. Like, there's like black coaches don't often get a second chance, right. right? There's not a lot of times where a black coach fails and then gets this. Lovey just Smith got two jobs, but Lovey Smith won a Super Bowl yep. in in uh I'm sorry, went to a Super Bowl in Chicago. Right. Uh Tony Dungy got two jobs, but Tony Dungy won a Super Bowl. You know, I think what he went to one in Tampa and no, then, he went to NFC. Sorry, he went to NFC championship, lost to the yeah. Eagles, and then Gruden went to the Super Bowl, but he won one in yep. in uh indianapolis so but the level of success to get the two jobs and and i threw up on our instagram page uh, like a few weeks back actually just when they were referencing the fact that um it looked like uh mike tom was going to be the only black coach left it was a quote from john thomas of, of of georgetown um john thompson stating that he was what he was tired of was that black coaches always had to be the next great right like the next great john thompson the next great this the next great that and he's like when are we going to be able like every failing program has a white coach yep right and so then the question for him was like well when can we be the ones who get the opportunities to fail now i think the nfl where they are is when there's a job that appears to be a clear failure and i've always felt like this and this has always been a rumor look at david cully in houston todd bowles and with the jets that oftentimes when you have a job that is going nowhere, that's the jobs that we get. And it's no, there's no real opportunity for success. The problem with this lawsuit is now what we believe is that maybe sometimes those coaches' jobs are given to black coaches in order for them to get out there and lose, create good draft positions, draft great players, and then fire them and turn the job over to who you really want once you have a more attractive job for the candidates that you really want to hire. And here's the big problem with that. The whole issue with gambling this entire time has been the integrity of the game. Why is Pete Rose not in the Hall of Fame? Because the integrity of the game. 
when you start telling me that owners are paying and Hugh Jackson seems like he's jumping in to, to yep. co-sign on this, when you start telling me that owners are potentially paying for coaches to lose games, Brian Flores said he was told to go on vacation, don't take it so seriously. Well, now you're talking about we're questioning the integrity of the game, what we're watching. Right. And I think we've talked about this. Owner, in my opinion, in your opinion, probably has no business being an owner if they're essentially doing what Pete Rose was doing in baseball, which is throwing games for their own personal benefit. I don't care if the, it's it's long-term financial benefit because you're trying to get better players so you can make more money down the line. It calls into question the entirety of what we're watching as sports fans. And to me, that's kind of at the heart of the lawsuit in the fact that you're using these racial issues to kind of play with that entire process to me is offensive and, and, and probably to me the most disgusting part of it. Yeah, be, because you're asking him to tank games that's ultimately going to uh, impact his career. Right. Because he's going to be he fired to get another job. Right, based on his record. And it's almost like it's almost like you should just be honored with the idea of having gotten a head coaching job. Yep. Take the money I'm giving you. Don't worry about it if you fail. I mean, because obviously these coaches know when these things happen, like you're going to get fired. They can't yep. justify to the fan base keeping you after you lose a bunch of games, even if they told you to lose those games. Um, and, and that's the equivalent of point shaving, you know, right. like which players have gotten kicked out leagues and, and banned for life. Hell and yeah, everything. Right. I mean, if this comes out to be true, I think Stephen Ross should be forced uh, to sell a team at a minimum. I mean, you know, basically how they treated Jerry Richardson in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like I could name a hundred examples, but look up Steve Wilkes tenure in, in uh, Arizona one year and was replaced by a fired college head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Um, look at just now Rams have decided, uh, I'm sorry, the Vikings are going to hire Rams offensive coordinator, uh, Kevin O'Connell to be their next head coach. Now here's a guy who's the Rams OC, but everybody knows Sean McVay is, is the play caller. Similar to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, and the reason they, most people have said Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a head coaching job is because Andy Reid is the play caller. So now you got this guy for the Rams, a white coach under Sean McVay, one run to the Super Bowl, which Kansas City has made four runs to the AFC you know championship and two Super Bowl. Now this guy gets a job after after one solid year, you know. So it's just multiple instances you can point to where it's, it's not one off. It's, it's a trend. It's a, it's, you know, a large trend. to that point. Like if we want to talk about uh, what is happening right now at the hires, right? There were one, two, three, four, eight head coaching openings, Mm -hmm. right? Nathaniel Hackett, no head coach experience in the NFL, got the bears job. He was the defensive coordinator. I'm sorry. He got the, the Broncos job, Matt Eberflus. He, Hackett was coming from being, I believe, the OC from the Packers, right? Mm-hmm. Eberflus, Matt Eberflus gets the Bears job, no head coaching experience. He was the defensive coordinator for the Colts. Brian Dabo, we talked about him, offensive coordinator for the Bills for the last four years, the Josh Allen era. He gets the job, no head coaching experience. Before that, he had been with the Patriots, which is why he had the relationship with Bill Belichick for the text message. Josh McDaniel, two prior seasons at the Broncos, he was fired. Jaguars, Saints, Texans, and Vikings are all open. I think you told me that you heard that the Vikings head coach is likely going to be um, Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell, who was the offensive coordinator for the Rams. The Saints, we all believe, is probably just going to be Dennis Allen keeping the job there, although Brian Flores did get an interview the other day, same day the lawsuit was released. He did say he told the Saints about it beforehand. 
And so at least two jobs, the Texans and the Jaguars. Texans, by the way, just fired uh, David Culley. Right. And so there's two jobs left. So potentially only two African-Americans get head coach jobs. But, you know, the idea that all these people we've named, I mean, the last Super Bowl champion, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator were black. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them got head coaching jobs. Right. So we're talking about all these guys. Oh, well, the Packers were really good. You know who also was really fucking good? The Buccaneers, because they won a Super Bowl. And they didn't just win it because Tom Brady at 43 was throwing the ball around the yard. The defense was really good. They shut down the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And Todd Bowles didn't get a head coaching job. And he's not going to get a look this year. Yep. And Brian Leftwich played quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, interviewed for the job, and still hasn't been given a job. Right. And the Jaguars, I think, probably had the opening first. They definitely did because they fired yeah. a coach in the middle of the season. They, they still did, haven't right. hired anybody. Right. Um, and Eric Bieniemy not going to get a job this cycle, despite four straight AFC championship games as the offensive coordinator. He is not going to get a job this cycle. And so when you look at the decisions being made, so the Packers OC gets it and the Rams OC gets it. But the but the black offensive coordinators for the teams that were dominant in NFC and AFC, those offensive coordinators just somehow don't get it. The Packers did not make it out of their first playoff game. And then their offensive coordinators were rewarded by getting the job in Denver. And everybody's kind of rumoring, oh, that maybe um maybe Aaron Rodgers will go there. I don't see at all how that happens or how it makes any sense. They don't have a roster around them to be fit for a Super Bowl. So, but I think that's kind of what they tried to sell us as the reason that he got the job. And I get right. tired of all the different excuses. I mean, we get all these names. I mean, Dan Campbell, who was the Saints tight end coach, Joe Judge, who was the Patriots wide receivers coach. And then you turn to the black coaches' resume for teams that were in the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, like whatever. And there's always an excuse for why they can't get the job. Right. And it right. just becomes insane after a while. And then once they finally get the job, the jobs are questionable. And then I turn to Mike Tomlin who has got one of the highest career winning percentages and by all accounts is a top five coach in the NFL. And they asking him if he's going to take the USC job at the end of this. Right. Right. And he was notably, and as he should have been offended by that, because why would you think that I'm going to demote myself out of the NFL into college football? But it's just how black coaches are viewed. And I think we'll all be a lot happier when they're no longer viewed that way. And I think the hopes is that this, this lawsuit, you know, goes in that direction. I mean, Eric Bieniemy's mentioned this lawsuit. Chris Richard, the Saints defensive backs head coaches, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, defensive back coaches in here, all just being compared to the people that they interviewed for against jobs. For example, I think they both interviewed against Joe Judge for that Giants job that he got, that he was so terrible at and got fired after two years for. And, you know, they had more experience than him going into those situations. Richard was the defensive coordinator for a Super Bowl champion defensive uh, dominant team in the Seahawks. Yep. You know, and now somehow as a defensive backs coach, you know what I mean? Like he was with the Cowboys too. And so it just doesn't make any sense when you talk about the numbers, when you talk about how many black players in the league, three black coaches, um, now one and, you know, general manager positions are few and far in between. Uh, You know, I think the hope is that this lawsuit is the first step in, in some type of change. And I think when I say what, one out of 30, 32 teams has a black head coach. Four out of 32 teams has a black offensive coordinator. 11 out of 32 has a black defensive coordinator. Eight out of 32 have a black special teams coordinator. 
Three of the NFL's 32 teams have a black quarterbacks coach. Six of the 32 have black general managers. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about this all the time. Me and my brother. And the, I'm sorry, there's one last point. In oh, the, pool of, the pool of players is 70% black. That's the first. Right, that's the. That's the first two pages of his lawsuit. Yeah. In this, I mean, <laughs> which it should be. And we talk about this all the time. Me and you, me and my brother. Uh, sports are a microcosm of, of life. And us being, you know, professionals in, in corporate America, you see some of these same issues, you know, in football, in, in, in our lives, in, in, in positions we've been in, in interviews we've been in. So when you hear stuff like uh, Eric Bieniemy doesn't interview well, Am I supposed to believe Joe Judge interviewed well? Am I supposed to believe Matt Patricia Dan sloppy Campbell. ass? Right. Exactly. Interviewed well. Like, come on, man. Like, that's that's bullshit. And that's, you know, calling to question. You got people on radio shows who've never spoken to Eric Bieniemy. So to say that he's got to be a bad interview is just it's poor judge. You you would never hear them describe a, a white candidate uh in those terms or, or say they didn't get a job because they were a bad interview. Um, and so that's just things you know we got to look at and, and I, I think like overall like you mentioned you, you talked about all the numbers right like it's not just head coaches it's also general managers and then you go to owners a 70 percent black league is a is a hundred percent white ownership and so all that trickles down if you look at most of these hires um the giants with with day ball it was a buffalo executive who got the giants gm job who then brings him over uh a new england executive got the Raiders GM job he brings in McDaniels so it's a it's a who's it's you know it's a um the boys club you know it's just mm -hmm. the the good old boys club and, and it's like they as long as ownership is white the general managers are always going to be white and as long as the general managers are always going to be white the coaches are always be white and so it's just a trickle down effect and you know it's it's at every mm -hmm. level in the NFL and and it's it's time it gets exposed, and I'm glad Brian Flores has has taken upon himself. Um, and you know, more than likely, he will be blackballed, just like Kaepernick was blackballed. Um, I'm and, not gonna lie; I'm really hoping that even if we hire Dennis Allen, that we at least extend him an offer to be our defensive coordinator. Um, I like what he would bring to a team. I mean, um, I do too. But again, if you're him, like if we were in that position in our workplace. Like, would you really want to be a defensive coordinator for a coach? You should have a job of his. You know what so I'm that's saying? The like, thing, right? Like, I'm gonna be a DC for a dude who is a is kind of like a rainmaker, right? Like, I'm gonna only go be a defensive coordinator for somebody who I think might be playing in the Super Bowl next year, so I can get the notoriety. Like, Matt Patricia went back to New England, right? Right. Um, as like some type of senior advisor, where I'm sure they're paying him a ton of money. He don't really have all the day to day responsibilities of any one of those coordinator positions. Um, and that's why, you know, everybody in college gets fired. If you are a top dog, you just go, go to Bama because right. that's where you can at least say, here's what I learned over the last year. You come to new Orleans to be the DC for a defensive minded coach. And a, you may bump heads with them. If you have different defensive philosophies and B you may never get the credit for anything positive that, that defense does defense does. Cause he is defensive minded head coach and he might not want a Brian Flores. He might want to promote for example like we're interviewing aaron glenn as the saints i could easily see a situation where well chris richard is the I'm about to say, coach now yeah. either he'll promote chris richard right. or if richard at least he probably would just bring aaron glenn back and make him the dc because those are guys he's already comfortable with 
Um, but what I was going to say about the whole situation is what I think was really frustrating for everyone involved is that immediately after the filing of the lawsuit, the NFL responded and said the suit was meritless. Right. And I think the issue is, A, it's a 60-page lawsuit with some pretty serious allegations and text messages and evidence of the allegations. So, so to say it's meritless, either you didn't read it or you are clueless as to what you're reading or you're just that stubborn i'm gonna go with option three i think they're just that stubborn right yeah um because clearly the giants made a decision before they brought him in for an interview right i mean that's really not to be disputed um any fool can see that from the text messages from the timeline um i also think it it's problematic because the nfl is a collection of 32 teams but you know you can't blindly defend the owners and everything that they do the owners can be wrong and you have to acknowledge that like there's a reason that the nfl is responsible for punishing the flake gate and spy gate and bounty gate right mm -hmm. because you're also supposed to hold teams players and organizations responsible when they do things wrong so if 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 we had i heard somebody make the point today if we had this huge investigation into like the psi levels in a football how is it that in an hour or two, you were able to look at a 60-page lawsuit that has text messages and evidence and clear timelines and say it's meritless? But when somebody told you that the ball was under 12.5 PSI, you needed to hire scientists and do like months-long investigation and get cell phones and, and right. get cell phone records, but you're not going to do that here. And here's another thing about this lawsuit. What we realize now from the John Gruden situation is that sometimes, or that was actually from the Redskins situation but John Gruden got roped into it. Discovery can sometimes be the most damning part of the lawsuit, right? Mm -hmm. If he survives the summary judgment phase, then he's entitled to discovery. And once he's entitled to discovery, what's likely to happen is you're going to get Stephen Ross text messages. You're going to get Bill Belichick text messages. You're going to get Giants text messages. God only knows what these guys are saying about these people after these interviews. And that sometimes is what the interview should be, NFL should be more afraid of. So this idea that this whole thing is meritless, to me is again just tone deaf by the nfl you just wonder sometimes who the hell they employ before they release these statements yeah yeah i mean <clears throat> i think some serious stuff is going to come out and I, I think some heads are going to roll you know how can you explain belichick knowing about the day ball hire you know he's not he's for a rival organization the Giants are a rival organization. Like, yeah, what like, type of old boys network do you have exactly. where everybody knows this black man ain't about to get this job except this and, black man who's about to go interview? And if Bill Belichick know, shouldn't Roger Goodell know? Or, or right. isn't it likely he knows? You know what I mean? So, like, at some point, again, like we, we the ones, you know, crazy ones, the fools. And I think that's the point. Like, let's be honest. Pretty much everybody who's a Saints fan knows Dennis Allen is going to get this job. So right. Brian Flores had to go to a Giants job he wasn't going to get. A Saints job he's not going to get. You know, it's just like as a, a successful coach and man, that's hard to – that that's humiliating. That's, you know, morally – I mean, it just uh, it erodes your confidence. Right. To, to go knowing knowing as you're going the, to get the words of the lawsuit he stated is humiliating yeah that you can't get a job that you know you're not only qualified but more qualified than the majority of the candidates and he's 40 years old coming off two winning seasons and he stated today on get up you know his son is asking him are you going to get another job right right and, and he you know after you win two years in a row particularly with all the injuries they had this past year you wouldn't expect to be in that situation and i think we all know the answer to that 
he will never coach again in the NFL. I'll be shocked uh, if he coaches again. I, I don't know. I'm not 100% on board that just because, A, if it's success, but B, you know, you got the Kaepernick situation and then you have uh, the David Cully situation, which tells me sometimes they'll make you offers that they think you might not take or that might not be the best job. And then it puts you in a situation to have to decide whether or not I'm going to take this opportunity that may result in failure. Um, and the reason I bring up Kaepernick, obviously, because that workout he got invited to, and I think that was his concern. Like, am I going to get a legitimate shot after this? Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know, when you look at somebody like David Cully, if you're, if you are Flores, do you take that Texans job if they offer it to you after what they just did to David Cully, knowing that Deshaun Watson might not come back next year? And you don't know what's going to even happen the year after that. Like, so do you take that job knowing that you're going to be in a really tough spot, salary tied with the guy who's not playing, right? Um, and and essentially doomed to fail. So, um, last thing we we're going to talk about the NIL with, with signing day to day. We can't we don't we run out of time today, so we'll talk about it next time. But real quickly, Washington football team announced their mascot, the the mm -hmm. Commanders. Yeah or nay? Yeah, nay. Um, I just think the Washington generals seem like the obvious pick to me. I don't know if like there's issues with the rights to that name because of the, uh, Hall and Grochada situation, but like, just go with the freaking generals, man. Like, yeah, I, I feel don't like, like commanders is just essentially like the same thing, except not using the obvious name. Yeah. For the, com they should have just kept the football team if they was going with commanders <laughs> as far as I'm right. concerned. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because that dropped today too. But, uh, man, that's all we got. Yeah, no, but I will NIL transfer portal completely changing college football. I just think some big rule changes are coming in the future. We'll talk about it, but I think that sport is about to look totally different. Yeah, we gotta really dig into that because that's yeah. we we had we heard about some some NIL deals today that came down to decisions by five star athletes and, and we talk about hundreds of thousands of dollars being thrown around. So yeah, talk yeah. about that next time. But uh that's it for us. Right. Rob, I'll see you next week. Right, I'm